You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. With me is Joanne Bainham from Sterling Private Wealth. Now, in Cape Town, that is. Joanne, I'm often confused, but I'm really confused at the moment. And I tried to find some sort of context to what is going on. And I sort of leaned towards philosophy. There's a chap called Viktor Frankl, who was, because uh, he died in 1997, uh, an Austrian neurologist, psychiatrist, philosopher, writer, and a Holocaust survivor. Now, I found one of his quotes And it says the following, if you'll just bear with me here. It says here, Mm -hmm. between, it says here, Victor E. Frankel, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And I just thought about how many years and years of stimulus there's been and how much response there's been. But there has to be a response to anti-stimulus now. And that is where I find it very, very difficult to understand markets on a, not on a daily basis, because I understand that, but looking towards the future. Have I confused you? You, you have confused me, but you talked about stimulus is really the word you put out there and how does markets react to stimulus. So we've come from a world where central banks have pumped massive amounts of liquidity into markets to try to get economies growing. And that's the sort of stimulus, one aspect of stimulus. Yes. The other aspect of stimulus has been government spending. So government sending those checks in the post during COVID, that's another form of stimulus. And in the past, sort of 2008, 2009, the global financial crisis, when we had the last stimulus round, it was only monetary-led, really. It wasn't much fiscal spending. So it didn't get sticky. It didn't become inflationary. We didn't have oil prices spiking. And the world didn't have a problem with inflation, even though there was an enormous amount of stimulus. Fast forward to 2021, 2020, and suddenly you had central banks and governments both creating stimulus at the same time. And that's the anti-stimulus movement we're now dealing with. Because mm. now we're dealing with the central banks that are removing that stimulus via quantitative tightening, which should start any day now, via higher interest rates, which they've been doing all year and are possibly continue doing so. Certainly, if you look at Jackson Hole, that's the impression one gets. Uh, the government spending, I think, will become even bigger going forward because of renewables because of climate change. And I think climate change is the one big factor that's going to lead to governments all around the world spending an enormous amount of money. All of this is inflationary. And this is why central banks now are cutting rates. I mean, sorry, not cutting, excuse me, raising rates because they're so worried about inflation. But I I think the genie's out the bottle. That's my feeling at the moment. Um, We can discuss that in more depth if you want to, but I think this inflation story despite having possibly peaked is a lot stickier than we now think. Yes, exactly. Sticky is the word. Because as you quite rightly say, maybe eight and a half, nine, ten percent, although City says that the UK inflation rate may rise as high as 18 percent, where they get that from, I don't know. But the point is that although it may not continue with its current, of many people thought, inexorable momentum, it may have peaked. But I don't think it's going to go down to the two and a half to three percent, which many people are talking about. And when I say two and a half to three percent, I'm talking about the United Kingdom and the United States. So I do think that people will continue to suffer. I'm not talking about companies here. I'm talking about people's personal balance sheets, the people that can't afford to to both eat and eat at the same time in a country like my home country, the United Kingdom. We've got a real problem here, Joanne. No, we absolutely do. And, you know, your numbers that you talked about, cities saying 18%, I believe Goldman's came out this morning saying now 20%. Uh, To your point, where do they get these numbers from? I'm not entirely sure how CPI is calculated in the UK, but your energy bills would be a large component of it. 
And um, with gas prices spiking like we've seen this year, I'm sure you've seen it on Twitter and everybody else would have seen it on Twitter. The bills coming through in the UK at the moment are utterly astronomical. Uh, you know, people who have been paying, say, £100 a month for electricity are now paying £600 a month. Yeah. People who are paying £5,000 a year for electricity are now paying £10,000, if not more. Oh, sorry, you look at these pubs, they're saying I was paying £1,000, now it's £16,000. Uh, and there's pictures everywhere of just pub and small shop just saying, we're closing down, we can't do it anymore. The, sorry to interrupt you, because you mentioned the word pub, and immediately I feel nostalgic about it, because I'm not in England, I'm not in <laughs> South Africa, I'm in, in the Netherlands, and pubs are great. But on the other hand, uh, the pubs have... I saw interviews with a couple of um, uh, publicans, uh, owners of, of pubs, and they say, we're going to have to charge 14 to £15 pounds for a pint in order to stay alive. We're a small, independent pub. And you can't go somewhere... <laughs> and, and um, be charged 200, 250 rand for, for a pint. It's, it's outrageous what's going on. The average, uh, actually, the average price of um, energy in the UK now from October will be £3,640, something like that. It's an enormous mm -hmm. amount of money comp compared to two years ago where it was a third of that. Well, make it worse, it's predicted to double again in March of next year. Oh, yeah. uh, and yeah. the point is, to your earlier point, we feel either heat or eat because they won't be able to do both. Exactly. Uh, and it's going to massively impact the poor and the middle classes. Yes, people at the high end will still be okay. They're always okay. But, but this inflation number is much worse than we've been predicting. And I think the other thing that's about inflation that I think is now quite interesting, it's been higher for a long time. If you look in real terms, wages are looking absolutely dreadful. How much longer will employees, given that we're in very tight labor markets, how much longer will they take it? How much longer will they say to their employers, it's fine, I can live with a plus 2% increase? It's not going to happen. And I think that's what central banks are terrified of, because once you get wage inflation in the system, it can second round in impacts of inflation, becomes a lot stickier for a lot longer. Inflation expectations all start to rise. That's why they're being so, so draconian on rates at the moment, because the irony is they can do nothing to increase the, the supply of gas out there. They can do nothing to increase the supply of oil or food. But they are genuinely terrified that wage inflation takes part and inflation expectations rise. And that's why you saw Jeremy Powell, James Powell talking about that, you know, what's happening to rates now? We're going to raise rates. We don't care if we bring on a recession. So there's clearly been a very different change in mood and markets. And what I find so fascinating about it, you, you keep reading commentaries from fund managers, balanced fund managers, DFMs in South Africa, and they continue to have very high equity weightings in their portfolios. And I look at this and go, that's the perfect environment when the Fed had your back, when inflation was low, when interest rates were low. But at the moment, I think people should be thinking a lot more about capital preservation and a lot less about let's try and buy cheap shares. I think we're in for some very difficult times. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. You've got to preserve your, your capital. In other words, it's exactly what you've just said, Joanne. You've got to say to yourself, okay, where can I grow my portfolio? No, I think where can you preserve your portfolio? And that's where people like you come in, a, a clever woman who I've known for a dozen years <laughs> or so. Uh, how do you preserve your capital? Do you go for inflation bonds? Do you go for high dividend companies? I don't know. You'll have to tell me now. Okay, well, I think, think I think this... Well, I think the strategy now is dividend yielding stocks, absolutely, if you believe they have pricing power. Because remember, if their earnings start to collapse, then dividends will collapse along with it. 
So remember in 2008, we had a number of companies with very high dividend yields that, that collapsed overnight. So be very careful of what looks like a high dividend yield that may not be repeatable. So one of the shares that a lot of people love in their portfolios, I've noticed, is BAT. Clearly, people might smoke a lot more given the environment we're in at the moment. Very good sustainable earnings coming out of those companies, despite sort of legal action. They do have very nice cash flow and very decent dividend yields. Another sector of the market that has amazing cash flow at the moment is energy companies. So, yes, I think there's a risk that we go into a global recession. I mean, I think it's inevitable that UK and Europe go into a recession. Um, the US might hold out for a bit longer because their economy is in far better shape. But I do think we're going into a world of slowing growth. And that might impact oil prices. But when you look at these oil companies and the lack of capex they put into their companies for the last couple of years, I think they'll be spewing cash. So that's another sector of the market I think you definitely want to have in portfolios. Inflation linkers, yes, it depends which market you're in. I think SA nominal bonds still offer you very decent yields. Um, I, I, I have thought that for a very long time. Your risk, obviously, there is the RAND blows out. But, you know, the RAND at current levels of 17 it's probably less risky than it was, all things being equal. But in, in offshore markets, it's really tough because bond yields don't give you anywhere near real ra real rates of return. Uh, a lot of the equity markets are overpriced, and I think the earnings story is going to start falling. So what we really like in portfolios offshore is alternative assets. Um, the, the shortened term for that is probably hedge funds. Um, but, you know, usage funds offshore, which are limited leverage, daily dealing, but what I like about them is they can also go short the market. In other words, they can make money from falling markets and rising markets. I think of your portfolio today, if you're sitting in front of your wealth manager as a client and your portfolio is just full of equities and, and your wealth manager says, but don't worry, you're a long-term investor, I think be very careful. I think it's going to be tricky out there. And yes, if you have a 10-year view, it doesn't matter. But if you have a three-year view or a five-year view… I think it could be quite tricky, and I think you'll be very careful where you where you put your money. Okay, so, so right now, I think okay, sorry. so let me, let, let me interrupt you here because I understand all the theory and everything. But you at Sterling Private Wealth, Joanne Bain, what do you do? Do you say to your when someone comes in and says, well, the, the rare occasion that someone in South Africa at the moment wants to open a new portfolio, and let's say this person has uh, you know, 10, 20 million rand. What do you say mm -hmm. to that person, he or she? What do you say? Do you say, okay, well, I'd like to sit down and just be quiet for a while. I'd like to sit on the fence. That person's going to say, I can sit on the fence on my own. What do you do? Is it money market? Is it uh, the inflation link bonds that we've spoken of? Do you say to yourself, well, the market has come off quite substantially, so therefore let's start building an equity portfolio? Is it local? Is it overseas? This is where I'm getting confused, and as per my introduction. Okay, I, I think the first starting point is obviously to look at the client's risk appetite. So it, it depends on, you know, we talk about the three L's in our market, uh, liquidity, uh, longevity, and legacy. And if a client has the need for the money in the next 12 months, clearly that portfolio can have very little risk in it. That's obvious, right? That's always in markets, no matter what, where we're sitting. So let's just ignore that for now. So there you'd go into money market, maybe it's a bit of fixed income. You know, you'd go into very low risk assets. And in South Africa, we're very lucky because we still have decent yields. That's certainly not the case offshore, but in South Africa, we have that. And you'd have very little offshore exposure in a portfolio like that because you can't take RAND volatility. Okay, so that's your first L. Your second L being longevity. Now you're looking at a client and says, I want to retire one day, go to grow my assets, or I'm taking money off the table every month and I want to return 4 or 5%. I can't afford to take too much risk there. I need higher risk to get to my long-term targets. Again, your asset allocation will change depending on their risk appetite. But what I'm trying to say to you, in a perfect world, when markets are, are, are in the right space 
and this is kind of back to legacy investing as well, you probably have 60 to 70% equities, even maybe more. And I'm saying to you right now, given these kind of markets, even somebody with a high risk appetite, I wouldn't be comfortable with more than sort of 55% equities. That's, that's my long story here. So, and within that, I think you need to have some sort of portfolio insurance in Vodacomers, which I would call something like energy stocks. Because the reality is if energy shares do well, markets generally don't do well. Because when oil prices are rising, the consumer's under pressure, interest rates keep rising, inflation remains sticky. So it's quite a good idea to have some energy in your portfolio to mitigate against, against that risk. But clearly yes. there are always going to be good active managers out there. So the good active managers will try and find those gems for you, a decent dividend yields, decent PE multiples. But I, I guess where I'm coming from, in an environment where I think liquidity becomes more scarce, and I think that's the world we're moving into, okay? A world where central banks don't have your back. You can't, I, I think it's the wrong strategy to go into very high PE multiple, very high growth shares. Be very careful of overpaying for something because I think it's taking a very long term until you make money out of those investments. And then on, to sort of mitigate that risk of markets and trying to, trying to understand whether it's going up or down, I think some hedge funds, some sort of strategies that make money irrespective of markets. And those are your true alpha managers. Am I talking too much, Lindsay? No, you're not talking too much at all. I'm, I'm furiously scribbling here. But I still don't know what to do, though. That's, that's the point. I mean, I've, been, I've never been a fund I'm manager. I'm telling you, you need to have some money in the markets because everyone has an opinion on markets and often people get it wrong. But I'm saying I don't think you bet the farm right now. The market's not conducive to saying put it all on risk. So I'm saying, Sam, have some risk because one day you want to retire, but do it slowly and be careful. And, and build that portfolio over time. Don't rush headlong into the markets right now. Because, you know, I think there's another thing with wealth managers you know, in, the, in our industry. We're very good at telling people to be long-term investors. And that in the long run is the right thing for them to do. But unfortunately, our profession doesn't tell people when to sell or when not to buy. Uh, and we saw it in 2021. We were telling clients, please be careful. Markets are expensive. Don't rush headlong into them. And I don't think we do that. We do ourselves a disservice by constantly telling people you're long-term because sometimes the price is wrong and sometimes you're paying too much for something. So you do need a wealth manager to sit with you and say, what are your long-term goals? In other words, you need to have equities, otherwise you will never retire. But sometimes equities are expensive and now is not the time to rush in and buy them. So I'm telling you, in an environment where inflation is stickier, when interest rates, I think, will continue to rise, the Fed's made that quite clear as far as I can see, with a European recession on its way and a UK recession because of a cost of living crisis, I don't think it's a slam dunk to buy equities, and I think you must be very careful what you're buying. So that's my message out there, and I think you should be buying some energy equities. I do like some of the commodity counters. Some of them have been oversold. I do like some of them. You've got to be very careful. And I really like active management. You know, I think the last sort of 10 years, it's all been about passive, right? You know, buy the S&P tracker, buy the MSCI World tracker. In an environment where it becomes more difficult, where fundamentals matter, and this is something you and I have spoken about at length in our calls, where fundamentals matter, I think you should be looking at active management. Don't you think? they've got a far better idea of good companies than we I, do. I think so too, because the, the, the people that you're paying the fees to are actually doing something. I find the, the, the whole over-passive over movement now as just a fudge. I mean, I, my son could go out and learn for a year, get a, 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 some kind of certificate to put on the wall of a small office, and he could say, Ms. Bainham, I think you should buy this fund of fund of fund of funds uh, because it's done well over the, the last few years. People like you who have been in the business for quite a while and have earned your, um, your, your wrinkles. I can't say that, actually. <laughs> Why should I say this? But well, you, you, don't, you don't mind. But do you see what I mean? People need to earn their, their, their crust every Stripes. month by yes. actually doing some research. 
in, in the companies. You can't just say, I'm going to buy that, I'm going to buy that, I'm going to buy that because it's done well over the last couple of years. Do something about it. Now, I'm talking too much. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no I totally agree, Lindsay. And I think, I think the other thing to think about, passive strategies have worked very well in momentum-led markets. Mm. What leads to momentum-led markets is a lot of liquidity. So when you've got an enormous amount of liquidity around and people chasing few assets because money is basically free, and, and for a long term now, now the cost of capital has been virtually zero around the world, people have just been chasing stocks. I think now that that's changed, and I think it's changed for a while, we, we could actually see you need to start doing some your homework. And you can't just buy any passive because the other thing about that people never talk about, there's nothing passive about passive. Which passive index do I choose? It's, it's very complex. It's, it's almost like picking stocks again because there's so many passive instruments out there. So yeah. it's not a simple equation. And, and I think also, um, most importantly, actually, strategic asset allocation going forward for clients will look very different to what it has in the past. So people talk about the 60-40 portfolios. That's the way to go. I think that's going to be a lot trickier in an environment where interest rates and inflation stay higher than we're used to. And I'm not saying run away. I'm just saying higher than we're used to. I think what we have to understand is, you know, you and I both being seasoned sort of um, uh, commentators and market professionals, you being the market professional, is that the number of years where money has been free, you wake up in the morning, you say, OK, I'm going to borrow some money on behalf of the company. I'm going to put it into stocks because there's nowhere else to put it. Those days are gone. How long is it going to take for that? Uh, I hate using the word mindset, uh, but how long is it going to take for that attitude to unravel because it has started unraveling and I still think personally as a broadcaster not a professional it's going to continue to unravel don't you think there's more to come to me look again it's a million dollar question I mean if you're asking me right now do I think we're in a bear market I think we are okay so that's I think there's more to come from that question and we haven't actually seen the retail public sell yet there's still an enormous amount of FOMO in the markets. In other words, fear of missing out because in the last 10, 15 years, every time markets have dipped, it's been by the dip and you've been fine. And I, and I think slowly but surely that is changing. And I think when the earnings numbers start to come through and we start to see disappointments in earnings, that will be the next leg to fall. And we haven't seen it yet. Okay, so, so I think we're going to see it later. We haven't seen proper selling yet. We've seen markets falling, we've seen a derating in markets, but we haven't seen real selling pressure. So to your point, I think there's more selling pressure to come. And again, though, if you're looking at a portfolio, that's going to create lots of opportunities. I'm just saying right now, don't bet the farm just in case this is, this is a bear market. And just in case it's not the start of a new bull market, as a lot of people are predicting in June. If you're worried about markets, you're worried about capital preservation, there'll be better times, I think, to buy. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying the cult of equities is over. I'm just saying there'll be better times. And then the other thing I think is really important to think about. Yes. And it's something PSG highlighted to me a long time ago. I think the sectors are going to be the winners in the future, not going to be the sectors that were the winners in the past. And I think we're moving from a world of scarcity, sorry, of abundance to scarcity. And that world, I think you're going to start looking at more value type stocks, cyclical type stocks, commodities, energy stocks, things where there's a proper some proper pricing power going to be coming through in the future because they're going to want these assets for the renewables that we're going to see. So well, I, I'm actually quite positive a year or two hence, mm. just not now. <laughs> 
Do you know what I've just noticed? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a microcosm of a, of a trend, but what I've noticed is in, in the past a few weeks and months is that bonds and equities have gone in the same direction. Uh, now I'm seeing a dislocation from that relationship, which wasn't a relationship uh, up until the last few weeks and months. But I'm, what I'm seeing today is that yields are rising and stock markets are falling. And I'm looking at uh, the, the, um, the commodity board on my screen now, Crude oil, uh, Brent crude oil down 2.6%, natural gas down 2%, gasoline down 2.5%, copper down 1.4%, soybeans 1 and 2 thirds percent weaker, wheat down 1 and a third percent, coal down 2%, and so it goes on, iron ore down 3.8%. Something is going on, Joanne. This tells me that there is no demand there. It doesn't matter what you say about China's property market or uh, the PMI in Germany, something is going on and people are offloading. And it worries me. I have to say I'm worried. No, I, look, I think what we are starting to see, the commodities are starting to price it, either slowing China, which we've seen all the headlines on China. And really, let's be honest, none of us actually know what's going on there. No. But let's pretend it's really slowing and the government's not doing a lot about it at the moment. But I think the other factor is we've had central banks make it plainly clear for anyone who's listening that they will bring on a recession if they have to. And as I said to you much earlier on, they can't control the supply of commodities or the supply of oil, the supply of gas. What they can control is inflation expectations via a slowing economy, which means job losses. So I think what the commodity market's telling you right now, in the very short term, they're worried about a slowing growth or recession coming our way. Yes. Again, I think inevitable it's going to happen in UK and Europe. We've got a cost of living crisis in these countries. But, but what I'm saying to you is that's the short term and that's the kind of right now what we're thinking about. But I think when you look at the supply and demand fundamentals from a long-term perspective, a lot of these companies, they're very compelling because there's been no capex in a lot of these companies. So there's the short term where I think, as I said to you earlier, I think the markets are bearish. The short term, I'd be very careful of buying anything. And as I was saying to you earlier, even if you're a long-term investor, I, I certainly wouldn't be betting at all at the moment. But on a longer-term view, once we've seen the dust settle and once we see that you know, central banks have killed inflation, then it's going to be some fantastic buying opportunities coming our way. We, we tend to also, once a recession is announced, markets tend to bottom and then we start seeing it going up. And we're, we're nowhere near it being announced yet. And of course, when the markets start going up, then people say, oh, it's so easy. I don't need people like Joanne Bainham to tell me what to do. <laughs> this is exactly the time that you earn your monthly envelope at Sterling Private Wealth. You really do. And I, I think this is when people should be picking up the phone and, and, and adding to your extensive list of clients and saying, I'm actually a little bit confused. I heard you speaking to that idiot uh, Williams the, the other day. He's confused. What do you think I am? No, but I, that's frivolous, but I'm, I'm being very serious. This is exactly the time when you need somebody who's been in the business for a long time to sort of navigate you through these choppy waters. Gosh, that was corny, but you know what I mean. Oh, thanks, Lindsay. But I, I, I think just to kind of go on about a point, the asset allocation that we've all been familiar with the last couple of years, which has just been basically bonds and equities, hmm. I think that's not the way to go forward. I think you have to bring in alternative assets, private debt, other issues into your portfolio cannot rely purely on equities. Again, South Africa is quite different because South Africa has a decent bond market with decent yields. I, uh, when I say decent, I mean from a yield perspective. Clearly, we have a lot of risks here from a repayment perspective, but the yields are, are decent. People overseas are not as lucky. So if you're looking for like, sort of conservative assets offshore, it's very hard buying bonds when inflation is so high. To your point, you say bonds and equities aren't supposed to be correlated. They're always correlated when inflation is rising. People just forgot that because for this last couple of years, we haven't had inflation. 
and, and that's the difference. Last 10 you years, know, you, actually, you, 10, 12 years. So yeah, yeah, no, okay. But yeah. I mean, okay, no, no, that, no, true. But, but the point is these asset classes do become correlated when in real terms you're losing money in both asset classes. Equities like inflation when it's like 25 to 3.5%. They don't like inflation when it's higher than that because demand falls and you get margin pressure in companies. Joan, thank you very much for your insight. Joan Bainham is from Sterling Private Wealth in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.